welcome to episode 209 of the What and Routes Review Show, where every week we pick a story and we talk about it. It could be a movie, TV series, anime, comic book, audio drama, all kinds of entertainment. We watch it, read it, listen to it, and then we come back here and we talk about it. My name is Melissa Wilkinson, and I am joined as always by Kyle Springer. Hello. Good morning. Good How's morning. It going? going well. How was your weekend? been pretty good so far did a whole lot of nothing yesterday um Mm -hmm. but it's also been we're still kind of in the midst of a summer game fest so there's all kinds of game showcases and stuff and uh there's a big one that's going to be happening while we're recording the the show uh afterwards i'm gonna have to go catch up on the xbox and bethesda conference so uh but yeah that's kind of my weekend what have you been up to i went to see the new jurassic world movie yesterday oh how was it it was what you'd expect it to be (laughs) (laughs) yeah checked the boxes look there's our old friends again our new friends are still here uh bd wong's in it great performance maybe the highlight of the film bd wong great actor for sure Mm -hmm. for sure yeah, it was it was a fine time. Uh, Jack and I went to see the first Jurassic World years ago, and there's the scene where the dinosaurs are attacking the like uh, dining area of the theme park, and you see yeah. a man panicked running away, holding a margarita in each hand. A cameo yeah. by Jimmy Buffett himself, mayor of Margaritaville. Uh, since then, we've always celebrated for the next two. We get to, we go to the same Mexican restaurant, and we get big margaritas. <laughs> that's awesome that's perfect <laughs> so it's nice to have that to look forward to it was good to unwind this weekend with like a big silly action movie and a margarita hell yeah that sounds fantastic mm. sounds like a good time indeed yeah <sighs> man i'm i'm slowly realizing that this summer there's a lot more movies than i expected yeah so I might might have to I I know I've mentioned looking into all the my like movie theaters version of Movie Pass, their like subscription mm-hmm. thing, but I think I might actually do it here. So start seeing all the movies that are out this summer. Yeah, it's a good summer for them. Indeed. This week we are talking about the 2003 HBO miniseries Angels in America. Directed by Mike Nichols and written by Tony Kushner, adapted from his play of the same name. I had pitched this as part of a series of Pride Month pitches, and I think it's also Jewish American Heritage Month. Uh, oh, this hey. is relevant on multiple fronts. Two for one. There yeah. Go. <laughs> Good stuff. Uh, I, I had not heard of this uh, when you pitched it. Um, mm. Not something I was familiar with or had been on my radar uh apparently not only had it won a bunch of awards when it came out but it's mm. still winning a bunch of awards yeah. when people adapt it and do all that sort of stuff uh I, I think according to the the show's wikipedia page andrew garfield recently played one of the main characters on yes. broadway and yeah won some like- o- 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 awards some award, Kyle. Tony, the Tony, the big one. You know, the, 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 <laughs> the big old tiger. Him, that guy. <laughs> yeah, this uh, I was familiar with this because this miniseries was sweeping the Golden Globes 
the same year I was watching for Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. Uh, I was deep in a Lord of the Rings and I watched like every award show that year to watch it win things, which it did. And I also got Angels in America lodged in my head. I was 13. I didn't have HBO. I like wasn't super interested in it, but I remembered it as a concept. And then in college, I took a modern drama course. It was a literature course. We were just reading plays as literature. And this is one of the ones in my textbook. And it's like, oh, I remember that thing. I didn't think I knew it was a play. And I read it and I, I really admired it. I thought it was very inventive. And then I ordered the DVD set of the HBO miniseries. And I enjoyed it a lot. And I really wanted to have the chance to revisit it uh, and see what you thought of it. Cool. Yeah, it's an interesting one for sure. Um, you also kind of pitched this one as one with a interesting like narrative structure or not necessarily mm. narrative structure, but they do some things in the, there that maybe most stories don't do yeah. structurally. I don't know what that means exactly, but I was like, that sounds good. <laughs> I'll, I'll, uh -huh. I'll do that one. Um, I have to say, I don't think the narrative structure was all that complicated, at least in the miniseries version. Yeah, um, yeah I, I, I have not seen or read the, the play, so I don't know how that it compares to that. Mm. Um, but as far as the HBO miniseries goes, it was pretty easy to follow standard yeah. and, and not not in a bad way but just like mm. hey, don't expect like some inception la, 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 right. level like narrative structure what is going on here uh. it, <laughs> it does play with reality and fantasy there are several fantasy sequences there's at one mm. point a character has a hallucination and encounters another character who's having a dream and they're yeah. like you're in my hallucination no you're in my dream how are we doing this and there's visions and prophecies and there is a lot of double casting actors some of them mm -hmm. only play you know their primary role but other ones are playing three or four different characters uh and i thought that was something you would really enjoy yeah and that what was in indeed yeah uh meryl streep uh plays mm -hmm. like three or four characters in here yeah she plays um uh, she plays Hannah Pitt. She plays Ethel Rosenberg. She plays one of the angels at the end, and she also mm -hmm. plays that rabbi in episode one. Yeah, that I think was kind of the most interesting one to me. Um, is is that she is also that rabbi at the start? I didn't recognize her at, in mm -hmm. in that role at all. Um, and most of these like dual roles i feel like i were like blatant of, of like oh they're playing an mm -hmm. angel um or jeffrey wright also playing mr lies um mm -hmm. but there there's some like side characters or just like they got one scene where they play someone yeah. else um which was re really really interesting and i didn't necessarily recognize the actors in some of those mm -hmm. roles there. So that was fantastic. Um, I en enjoyed that a lot, especially after we watched uh, Sus Suspiria. Yeah. Um, you blew my mind. Uh, that <laughs> what's her name was two characters. Tilda Swinton. 
Yeah, well, good God. Three, in fact. She also plays that old mother at the end. That's but right, yeah. It's not quite it's... as shocking as her also being the old man. But uh, I, I yeah, had no I... idea with that, and I was mind-blown. <laughs> <laughs> I remember you said that was your highlight of review show last year. It was just learning that that it movie really contained was? a second Tilda Swinton. I so that no I, I definitely have to bring something like that back for this year. <laughs> now that you have four Meryl Streep's. <laughs> indeed um that being said i i feel like this is a mini series that i'm wrestling with still mm-hmm. um, on on one hand i i don't know if i liked it but on the other hand this is made really well uh mm-hmm. some of the characters i can't say i necessarily related to them but yeah. some of their interactions and stuff with the uh, uh, other characters, some of the dialogue was fascinating um, uh-huh. to it, it's not necessarily fast paced and like that hard hitting dialogue that I like from Primer, for example. But that is a weird comparison there. Well, I guess I'd call it fast paced and hard hitting in that it is extremely dry and technical and does not let the audience in at all. Like it won't let you. Yeah. Yeah. Catch up is what Uh I'm referring to. This doesn't have that, but they talk about so much and very quickly just go in so deep on a, a bunch of d- 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 different topics uh, that it is hard to keep up in a mm-hmm. way. Um, and I, I liked that. I liked where this show ended up. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I like the, the journey to get there, if, if that makes <laughs> sense. Like, I, I feel like I'm wrestling with this show of like, what? What did I actually feel about this? I, I don't know. Yeah, I when I I had not seen this in 10 years. And when I started it, I'm like, oh, I knew this was a filmed adaptation of a play. For, mm-hmm. and, and not like they just filmed it on stage. Like it is adapted for screen and just shot like a movie. But it's very obviously adapted from a play. The dialogue feels very theatrical. Sure. Yeah. Uh, it's a play adaptation from 2003. And then I started watching it and I'm like, oh, I really feel that this is a play adaptation from 2003. I was like, I know Kyle's going to like the double casting uh, and you're going to like the appearance of James Cromwell for two scenes. Babe dude. <laughs> Babe dude's in it. I knew you would like that. But then it was like, man, I don't, I don't, this is one for me. I don't know if Kyle's going to be super into the rest of this. Yeah, I, I just, I, I think at the end of the Mm-hmm. Day, I I didn't find any of the characters really likable. Um, I understand or, that. Yeah. Just like like you would be likable, but you're just annoying as hell. <laughs> <laughs> just, yeah, lots just of shut up and calm down a bit, and you'll be good. <laughs> right? Yeah, lots of of bad habits, um, poor sure, life yeah. decisions on display Which in this show. Yeah, doesn't necessarily mean that they're bad characters, though. Oh no. Um, Again, I think this is fantastically made, uh, well shot. I I think it is interesting, um, but yeah, just maybe not for me. Yeah. So. Well, I I think it is a 
a stellar cast. I think that is the strength of this thing. And it swept so many awards when it came out. Um, mm-hmm. I did, I've got the DVD set that on the back says like it won the Golden Globe for like best. It was categorized as like TV movie, like best in that category, best adapted screenplay and like best for the four actors. And like, there's a, you could have picked anybody from this cast that won an award, but it's like, yep, we're giving the statues, little Golden Globes out to Meryl and Al Pacino and Jeffrey Wright and Mary Louise Parker. Like the, the performances are what you watch this thing for, what you come back to this for. And like, yeah. that is what I've remembered it for is the, uh, the performances and the, uh, some of the unique presentations of scenes. And I want to tell sure. you <laughs> later in the show, I want to tell you more about some of the stuff the play did that like didn't get translated on screen. Yes, the yeah. play is what it does with the, nature of the stage and of sharing space and of double casting is really fascinating cool yeah that sounds exciting a brief synopsis for those who who may or may not be interested okay happening it is uh the mid 80s in new york city in the aids crisis and there's a, a young man in prior walter who is diagnosed with AIDS and as he's sick and he's in the hospital, his boyfriend leaves him. He's bad at dealing with death. He, he hates medical things. They ick him out. So he leaves and he's distraught and he has this angelic vision and angel comes to him in the night and tells him he is a prophet. <laughs> so he's running around New York city, trying to like solve problems try it it's the the first half of this play this play was presented in two halves millennium approaches and perestroika um mm-hmm. and a lot of sometimes you can see both of them done at once in like one six hour night at the theater but a lot of times people just do millennium approaches i've seen millennium approaches live have not been lucky enough to see perestroika live yet but um that theme millennium approaches, you know, it's set in the mid eighties. And that is something that hangs over this, this narrative is that so many of these characters have this foreboding of them. They live in this time of this great cultural change of, of illness and conflict and some things are getting better and some things are getting worse. And they, that big year 2000 is looming in front of them as a date on the calendar. And also this like passage of, eras in human history as the sort of biblical shift almost um yeah. Yeah, and then the show explores it through like various religions and uh, just the fear that we don't know what's coming next we don't know how it is we are supposed to live we don't know if we are approaching an end time or not so we see prior dealing with that and we follow um a young mormon couple who's moved to new york city we follow roy Cohn, a, a, a real man in history <laughs> As he is, he also suffers from AIDS and he's in the hospital and he's haunted by the ghost of Ethel Rosenberg, uh, a woman who he gave the death penalty to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, yeah. And it just it just kind of follows all of these different people as they are dealing yeah. with their daily lives with the AIDS crisis, with being gay, with accepting that they're gay. Yeah. Um, and I think it's also interesting to point out that there are a number of characters who are ghosts or angels yeah. <laughs> or yes. stuff like that um, that are just in there. And some characters can see, some of them can't, uh, mm. stuff like that. 
but yeah, it is certainly an interesting one for sure. Yeah. Uh, we watched this on HBO Max. I think I, when I Googled it, it said it was also on Hulu through something. Oh, uh, it, yeah, consider it. Con- you know, it's a, it's a highlight of American theater. If you're not able to get out and see it live, if you're intrigued by the concept, look up the miniseries. If nothing else, you'll get these real stellar performances. Indeed, indeed. Uh, well, with that, I think this is a good time to take a break for housekeeping. Mm-hmm. And when we come back, we will dive into spoilers and discuss it a little bit more in depth. Uh, so, yeah, we will be right back. We put a lot of hard work into the shows that we make. And yes, we make multiple different shows here at The Whatnots. And we'd love it if you check them all out. You can find out more information on our website at thewhatnots.com, as well as your favorite podcasting platform of choice. When you type in The Whatnots, all of our shows will pop up right there. Just don't forget to give us a nice rating and review if you like the shows. If you want to support what we do here at The Whatnots, patreon.com slash The Whatnots is the best place to do that. You can support us for as little as a dollar a month. You can get all kinds of exclusive content at the $3 tier. You can also get a shout out and a thank you on all of our shows at the $5 tier. You can support us on Twitch by subscribing to our channel at twitch.tv slash the whatnots. And we would love to have you all join us for our live streams and talk with us in the chat. And lastly, we have merch. If you'd like to grab yourself a shirt or a sweatshirt or a mug or something else, go to the whatnots.com slash store to pick up some merch today. And we are back. A big shout out to all of our Patreon supporters. Thank you so much. Uh, it means a ton. We appreciate it. Cool Thank things. you. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, co- cool things that we've been up to here at the Whatnots. Uh, Man, on the captain's log this past week, we had a lot of fun. Uh, We are briefly moving our recording (laughs) dates of the captain's log to Thursday for the remainder of the summer. Uh, So for the next three months, we will be recording Mm. those on Thursday. So just keep that in mind. Um, That's the captain's log Uh, for crossplay. Like I mentioned at the start. Uh, we're right in the middle of Summer Game Fest, so there's a whole bunch of video games uh, being announced and new trailers and stuff like that. Uh, if you are interested in, in that stuff, go check out Crossplay, our video game podcast. Uh, and then, of course, Miss Marvel just got started, yeah. so we are doing our reactions to Miss Marvel each week as it comes out on the Whatnots Reactor Core. Uh, so, yeah get excited for all of this stuff there's there's so much stuff happening Mm -hmm. so uh but there you go that is our our uh housekeeping for now let's see i still have not updated my whatchamacallit um thing here so i need to do the spoiler alert manually we're about to get into spoilers so here we go bam there we are here we are Mm-hmm. So I have something that I want to start out with uh, in okay. this here. I want to talk about the opening credit song. Oh, um, okay. Yeah, because it, it's this instrumental. Uh, so the, just, just the, the, that whole sequence, right? Um, very specifically, 
the last like two seconds uh, uh-huh. of it is what I want to talk about because the song is peaceful. I, mm. I don't want to say it's light because it still feels like it has mm. a, like a weight to it, uh, but in a way that is like calming and peaceful and yeah mm-hmm. the, you know the show, show is angels in america it sounds nice mm-hmm. like oh this is pleasant <laughs> something that your mom would enjoy mm-hmm. and then the last two so it, yes it, it, it like it is going across america through the clouds you see different mm-hmm. landmarks it ends up in new york at uh in central park at a certain fountain and there is uh i forget who the it's the angel bethesda bethesda there you go yeah it's a statue of bethesda and the last two seconds focuses in on the face of bethesda this statue and it moves it comes to life and like (laughs) looks right at you yes and the the song Yes. In the, in the last two seconds, shifts from what I described as like that lightweight, peaceful uh, thing to this dark and foreboding yeah. note at the end there. And I found that like mysterious of like, ooh, like we're expecting something to mm-hmm. happen in this show that is like there's this like impending doom on on top of them all. And we both did get that and did not, not in mm. the way that I was expecting, um, mm. which I guess I, I don't know exactly what I was ex- expecting, uh, but not in a way that I was maybe predicting. I, I don't know. Mm. I, I, but what did you think of, of that, 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 <laughs> that opening sequence, that opening song? Uh, first off, I love that one of the landmarks they pass by is the St. Louis Arch. I love to see myself represented on screen. There you go. <laughs> um, and the final shot of the angel is really thematically tied to the story as a whole, where angels are typically perceived, yeah, in this touched by an angel vibe. You expect beautiful, God, soft, glowing Roma Downey to come down and like give you uh, advice on how to live your life and like pat you on the shoulder. Yeah. Their, their, their head there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and there's a little bit of that, but for the most part, angels are terrifying. There's like a cosmic yes. horror to an angel, which is, I believe, biblically true. Some angels are described yes. as being like, he has 15 wings and 99 eyes and he's on fire. Well, there, there might be some stuff describing them in the book of Revelations, but mm. in the, the Old and New Testament, they, they never really like physically describe them. But mm. every time they appear to a, a human, the first thing they have to say is don't be scared. Like, hey, hey like, yeah. don't, don't be terrified because everyone yeah. is just cowering in fear. And, and I always found that fascinating that 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 everyone thinks of them as these like angelic beings playing the lyre yeah. and the lute and yeah. they have beautiful wings and they're, mm. they're right. And it's just like, no, they're horrifying. Right. Like, 
these things like you don't you you'll be scared to death like <laughs> yeah it's just emma thompson crashing through your ceiling giving you a boner and yelling at you <laughs> that's what these angels okay. are yeah which so to have this angel statue open its eyes and stare at you and not like in a cheeky wink sort of hallmark movie sort of way but like, like a horror it's, movie kind of right it, Way. It feels goosebumpsy in in a very mature manner. Uh, yeah, and then the music turns dark. These are frightening. The angels are frightening, and they are also sensual and erotic. Like the angel comes to Pryor, a gay man, and you know the angels this female form of Emma Thompson, but still, like the angel, like they take in your soul and your spirit and your full body. You are a full being, every part of you. And they are interacting with you on a physical level as well as a spiritual level. So that's how Pryor knows he's about to get a vision is when he gets a boner. <laughs> he's, like, he's on all this medication. Like this isn't something that's like happening to him very much in his everyday life. But the angel, the angel can get him up. And he's, yeah. and he's like, great. I, I didn't ask for this. I don't, and they have like this weird floating, flaming spiritual sex. They sure do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's mm. uh, it's it's interesting for sure. But I, I wanted to mention it because, yeah, I, I do think the song kind of mirrors a number of themes uh, in the show, especially that like forebodingness. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, like you said, part one of this show is entitled Millennium Approaching. And it is this kind of foreboding nature of like, mm. we don't know what's next. We don't know what's happening. Things seem to be getting worse in life in America. And mm. by the year 2000, God, who, who knows if we'll even still be here, right? Mm. We are in uh, 2022, <laughs> um, but uh, still like it, it like there's this foreboding nature of the millennium uh, that is approaching, um, though at the same time, a number of the characters are kind of hopeful for mm. what the millennium will bring because they again they don't know it's not necessarily a bad thing. And so they. They feel like they kind of have to hope that something better is on the horizon. Um, and I, 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 I liked that and I liked where that theme kind of went by the end of the, mm-hmm. the, the mini series here um, to, to skip ahead briefly to the end. Uh, mm-hmm. when, Prior is like in this like I, I guess you could call it heaven the, the, this like yeah end, like this end times angelic vision mirroring the last supper and all of the, mm. like this stuff there's some beautiful shots in in, mm-hmm. in that that are stunning um and it it is this kind of on on one hand, I want to say hopeful. It's a hopeful. Mm. It's a hopeful ending to the play, but it's also a stern one, too. Yeah, because Pryor's character 
is now like on a mission to go find God and like hold him accountable for abandoning mm. everyone and all like <laughs> yeah. which is also like a darker turn to the the thing there. Like mm. it is a serious note of of like, oh, like he's he's about to go like to be like, God, what the fuck? <laughs> like right. he, he tells all this this court of angels who the God has left them, and it's just this council of angels who are trying to run things on their own. And Pryor goes to them and he's like, sue him. Find God and sue him. Yeah. He, he owes you something. Yeah. yeah. And the play does end on this. See, I think sternness is a good word for it. He's got this determination of I'm not backing down. I'm not giving in. Like the angels give him this opportunity to like to die, to to leave his bodily form, to live as a prophet in heaven, uh, to to leave the mortal coil behind. And he's like, no, you want to be alive. And I know you guys don't understand it. Like you think I'm just stuck in the habit of being alive and I want to keep doing it. But like I am addicted to life alive. Yeah, right. I love how he says I am addicted to being alive. I will pursue this no matter what. And that is what he's doing. He's got this cold flintiness to him where he's like, no, I'm not leaving. I'm not going to be this like the cosmic subject to your games. I just want to be a living man and like go to the park and eat a sandwich with my friends. Right. (laughs) Which then the the series does really end on them uh, back in that park uh, by mm-hmm. that fountain, by that statue of Bethesda. And again, they are kind of t- I think by this time, it's been a time jump. I think they're past the millennium. Yeah. At that point. No, no. I think no? it's like in um just, 19, just the early years. 90s, like maybe yeah, gotcha. 93. So, yeah, but the, it's four of them still sitting there uh just kind of talking explaining some things that happened and stuff like that and that scene is a lot more hopeful like yes. there, there there is this like well that was the end of our adventure and you know what we learned some things and here's some <laughs> things that happened along sure. the way here's the the f- friends that we made like it like it it is this more like it's, it's, it's not a like a wrap up review yeah. of like here's everything that happened. But it, it's right. it it is that like there's a more hopeful twinge. Yeah. To that scene there. They, they, they seem happy. Is, yeah. Is the, what it is. The real angels in America are the friends you make along the way. There you go. Yeah. But you're right. It is prior and Lewis and Belize and Hannah who meet together to, to celebrate Pryor's birthday. And it's a celebration of him continuing to live, to live with AIDS, uh, which is not a narrative you hear a lot about when that's introduced in a story. It often ends in, in death. It doesn't end with, and this man's been alive for six or seven years and he's going to keep going. He's managing it. Yeah. So I like that. But it's, uh, it is hopeful in that Pryor and Lewis are able to be friends, that, that he randomly ran into Hannah and she like took him to the hospital is like a good Samaritan. And they're still friends years later. The, yeah. the Lewis and Belize aren't arguing that badly. The fact that these social bonds can continue, can weather the storm that and that is one of the greatest things you have to lose in this approaching millennium, in the shift, in this conflict is the, the loss of loved ones, not just from death, but from falling out. The fact that over the years. He's not fallen out with any of these people, I mm-hmm. think, is the hopeful note of it. 
I think on top of that, it's interesting to see because uh, the the characters that we meet end up kind of intertwining uh, without yeah. the other characters necessarily knowing right away. Mm. Um, and yeah, there are sexual encounters between them all. And when stuff like that tends to get out and relate, like people end up not necessarily keeping in touch with their exes yeah. or keeping in touch with like, well, it was like a summer fling while I was trying yeah. to cope with uh, something that my mm. boyfriend had to deal with. Right. Like usually mm. those relationships don't continue. And by the end of this, they've kind of managed to all reconcile, reconcile and be OK with it and be, be like, hey, like there were some bumps along the, the way but we all know each other we're all g good we're fine with the way things yeah. are, are and yeah i think that is like another like hopeful layer because yeah. I'm, I'm a big believer of like hey relationships don't have to end well i'm sure relationships don't have to end poorly but like you don't have to like completely cut someone off just yeah. because they're your like you can still be friends with them mm -hmm. you just know that hey like a, a more romantic or sexual relationship mm -hmm. might not work or like hey like a more like in-depth friendship I, that's a weird way to put that but just like right, just <laughs> yeah, like a, yeah a, i understand right like hey maybe we're on like the christmas card la, 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 yeah level. We'll catch up if we see each other in public. But really beyond that, like you're not going to be mm -hmm. here at the backyard barbecues uh -huh. on most. Right. Like the, you, 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 you can sometimes still be that. And I think a lot of people nowadays are like, well, if we're da -da done, then that's mm -hmm. it. like never talking mm -hmm. to you again. And sometimes that is what you need to do right let's be mm -hmm. clear yeah. or uh that is just what ha ha happens but it's possible to still be friends and yeah. i think that's something you don't really see in a lot of media yeah i i do like that a lot and i like that uh prior and belize had something going on in the past and it's not sure to what they had a sexual relationship at least and pro and yeah. like lewis accuses him of of uh belize you hate me because prior left you for me and belize is like i love prior but i was never in love with prior and i have a boyfriend you've just never asked me about him he's not <laughs> in the story but i have one yeah and i think that final scene, it's like Prior's birthday and it's in January and it's freezing. There's snow on the ground. There's nobody else around but those four, which could be nice, but it also seems like uncomfortable. I like that scene in a, in a social sense, but I'm looking at it and it's like, I don't want to sit on a cold stone bench in New York City in January. And they're just no drinking coffee around. and eating. Yeah. Right. They're all sharing like a sandwich or something. Like it's it's not high living. It's not anything fancy. It's not anything. It's not like a picturesque spring day where they have like a full picnic spread out in front of them. No, it's just like something wrapped in paper on a cold stone bench in January. And that is worth living for. You don't have to be attaining the highest thing possible for you to still be addicted to life. Life in its simplest form is addictive enough. 
indeed. Um, so let me ask you this. It's a bit of a simple question, but like who, who in this story did you connect with the most? Who do who oh. you like the most? Um, I don't know if I connect with anybody. I don't know if I point at anybody and say, yes, I felt like that. I feel like I am or, in your shoes. Or, or I feel like, the whose, way. Whose story did, did you enjoy the, 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 the most? Oh, gosh. I, I think the standout character might be Belize. And I didn't know. Like, I, I learned a little bit about this in college. But today I went through the Wikipedia articles on this miniseries and on the original play. I didn't know Jeffrey Wright was in the original Broadway cast and that he won oh, a wow. Tony for this. Yeah. So, like, I think that's why his is one of the strongest performances is that it, it and it does feel so naturalistic and so lived in. Because he did this thing on stage for who knows how long. He's one of like it's was, multiple awards for playing the same role. Okay, so it, it was the, he was playing the same character in both. It's mm, not like he played yeah. Prior in this one no. and then Mr. Lies and that one. So yeah. some people have jumped around. I think I saw that like um the the actor who plays Lewis played Roy Cohn in like an early like pre-stage you know before the staging of the play like a workshop at nyu once gotcha sometimes roles are traded but no i think he was Belize the whole time interesting yeah i i i thought uh i mean jeffrey right they're all fantastic yes yeah. star-studded cast but yeah, mm -hmm. uh, I, I i liked jeffrey wright's characters a lot i really liked mr lies yeah i i think just in in terms of the kind of stories that I'm into, I think Mr. Lies is a character that fits m more into the stuff that yeah. I like. So I'm, I'm, I like, I really enjoyed mm. whenever he was on screen. It yeah. felt more like Twin Peaks and like that yeah. kind of thing of just like, what is going on here? And his whole, it's not his adventure. Uh, what was her name? The wife's name. Harper. Harper. Uh, her kind of adventure is this kind of twin peaks kind of adventure she is dealing with the fact that she's kind of bored and lonely at home mm. she's kind of fallen into taking valium to mm. cope with the fact that maybe her husband doesn't really love her uh mm. and then, yeah you mentioned this like shared hallucination slash yeah. dream state thing in which uh prior tells her like hey your husband is gay and she's just like yeah Psh, no <laughs> <laughs> no uh, that's not true we're married um and she goes back and that's kind of a revelation for her is that mm -hmm. yeah that makes sense actually that he might be dealing with some of that stuff and so it's then her like figuring out how to deal with that and how to co cope with that um but man there's one scene when they're in the theater i don't remember what theater exactly but she like walks out on stage with this big rock as she's putting the like rock yes, prop yes. down i got major log lady vibes <laughs> from that um <laughs> 
and and just with like the the mannequins coming to, to life and like the weird sequences of like yes. Mr. Lies playing the oboe in Antarctica and then like it switches to New York and mm. he's he's sitting there with something else on a trash can instead yeah. like it's just like there's weird things happening here and I like these vibes good stuff yeah you you've landed on one of the things that most excited me when I read this play is the scene where um uh Joe's mother or Hannah has come to New York City to sort of take a to to watch over her son who has confessed to her that he's gay and her her daughter-in-law who is to, to completely zonked out of Valium she's Harper has <laughs> few moments of 100% clarity and lucidity uh, and Hannah is volunteering at the Mormon Visitor Center where they've got this it's such a weird setup they have this like uh, it's, it's mannequin display not a th- yeah <laughs> Theater, right, right? It's like a yeah, it's like a museum display of like here are these mannequins of like the original Mormon settlers traveling across the country to get to Salt Lake City. But there's it like they're mannequins, but there's a theater in front of them. Like you're supposed to just sit there and like look at the stationary mannequins. Yeah. Right. Maybe there's some animatronic function to them and you like listen to an audio reel or something. It's a weird setup. But it, and Harper's sitting there in the theater looking at this mormon dad mannequin and she's like it looks just like joe and it is a mannequin that it does look just like him right (laughs) right they just made a mannequin that looks like patrick wilson but on stage that is the actor who is playing joe who is dressed up as the mormon settler sitting up in his covered wagon and then uh i think in this miniseries that's then followed by a scene that's between joe and lewis on stage, you've got uh, <laughs> uh, Harper and Hannah there in the visitor center looking at the actor playing Joe, playing uh, the mannequin dad. And then Lewis comes in and starts talking to the mannequin like it is Joe. And then that actor is reacting as Joe to Lewis, just in the same physical space where Harper's looking at him like he's just a mannequin. And, it's and, one and of the. It's a tr- It's a trip it's a like she's just like i am tripping balls (laughs) i it's one of the most remarkable things i've ever read i've it's in the second half of the play like i've never gotten to see that performed live Mm. it's one of my life's dreams i just want to see this thing where you're like oh symbolically like he rep you know the mannequin represents his character so that actor is there and then another actor comes in treats that actor like he is his original character and he's doing both of these things at once how inventive i i love the format breaking stuff like that i I wish i don't think it would have carried on screen as well as it does on stage but i i wish i could have seen that instead of just a mannequin that looks very much like patrick wilson yeah indeed indeed um Belize himself uh, not as interested in since it was not as like twin peaksian right um, but yeah. it's still fantastic performance mm-hmm. uh, by Jeffrey Wright. Uh, of course, Al Pacino is Al Pacino. Um, <laughs> fantastic. Um, I was also reading that the um, before this play would even been produced, one of the producers of this miniseries had read it and thought, I want to film this someday. 
uh, and it goes through the Broadway production. And then I think in like 1993, while it's on stage, Al Pacino agrees, I want to play Roy Cohn in a filmed version of this. And then it doesn't get off the ground till 10 years later. So it's another factor wow. that really adds to his performance is that he's known for a decade that he wants to play this. Interesting. Um, yeah, it was interesting for me th- this week because I, as I mentioned on the Whatnots Captain's Log, mm. one of our uh, podcasts that I do, um, I got a double dose of Pacino uh mm. this week and i watched dog day afternoon for the first time um which spoilers for that <laughs> movie uh if you haven't the dog yet, dies uh well there, there is no dog in that that one so <laughs> skip ahead like a minute or two i'll i'll keep uh-huh. it real short, short here uh but the twist of that movie is that Pacino's character is robbing the bank so that he can get money for his uh like for his wife's sex change. He has a mm. gay uh or he he's bisexual cuz he's married with kids but also has another relationship with this okay. guy who wants to have a sex change. And mm. that is like kind of the big twist of the yeah. movie. Um and so yeah, it, it was just in interesting to 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 see him uh in a role where he's a lot younger um mm-hmm. and is this like bisexual character just not not he's he's j- just not he's kind of he's a disaster bye <laughs> right uh and then to see him in this where he's now much older he has yeah. aids he's a lawyer it just there was like in my mind, there was this weird sense of continuity. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I understand that. Wow. Uh, and it, yeah, it, it was just it, it was a little bit strange. But um, yeah, yeah it, it was a fantastic performance by mm. Al Pacino. Um, he's he's got some terrific monologues. And I love yes, that at the beginning, yeah. at the beginning of Millennium Approaches, he's got he's this you know, the real top-notch lawyer and he's talking to people constantly. He's got this like multi-line phone and he's always punching buttons and saying, yes, hold. And he's like calling <laughs> his secretary like, oh, I got these colleagues coming into town. They want Broadway tickets. What can you get them? Cats? No, nah, cats. It's cats. You'll kill all of it. It's saying cats. And he's juggling all these things. Well, like, Joe just sits there very politely like waiting for him to finish. And he mentions, like, I wish I was an octopus. I wish I had eight arms so that he could juggle all these phones, which is such a weird, comical, whimsical thing for this man. This like very serious, judgmental man to be thinking of. Uh, And that's his final words, I think, or among his final words when he dies at the end of Perestroika is, if I come back, I want to come back as an octopus. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there you go. Maybe he's also just really into hentai. So <laughs> don't know if it existed back then. Well, it did. I don't know how much I was in not not necessarily in America. Anti in America. Angels in America. Tentacles in America. In America. Yeah. I I I love that. I love that he's not envisioning a life where he ha- he wants to keep doing this. He's not imagining what if fewer people called me. He wants to be a business me. octopus. 
right. What if I had less business to do? He's like, no, I want to do the same amount of business, if not more, and be better equipped to it. Like, I just want more art. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think Al Pacino's character, as as much as his performance is great, he's also a difficult character to really, yeah, get into. Right, like he is the the, the this very judgmental, foul mouth mm-hmm. character who is racist, uh, misogynist, but also gay. Mm. Uh, mm-hmm. and, like the, the, it's just it's a weird combination. <sighs> Kind of with how yeah. polarized America has become t- today. Um, mm-hmm. And he's and, go ahead. He's he's got a different relationship with his sexuality than the other characters do. Like you've does, got yes. uh, like Pryor and Belize, who are very de- proud out gay men. Lewis, who's also out, but is like a little bit more secretive about it around his family. You know, like pro- like the show starts with he has to go to a funeral for a grandma and Pryor's like you always like you're not Lewis around your family you're Lou around your family you're trying to act more traditionally masculine around your family um and then you've got Joe who's knows that he is gay but is like buried that very very deeply inside himself he's got this Mormon shame about him where he's like I know this but I have to do everything in my behavior to not be that I have to act the absolute opposite of any way that I do want to act. And then you have Roy who gives this very fascinating speech about like, do I have sex with other men? Oh yes. All the time. But I wouldn't call myself a homosexual because when you think of a homosexual person today, it is somebody who is struggling, who can't get the respect that they deserve. And he's like, I get the respect I deserve. I have clout. (laughs) Other people you're thinking of, they don't have clout. So he's in this, other strange headspace <laughs> that no other character has. He really is. He he almost thinks of it more as business. Yeah. Right? Which I is a thing that I've seen in a couple different like movies or TV sh- sh- shows. Like for example, Mr. Robot. Um mm. I'm I'm blanking on the character's name, the guy from Evil Corp that oh is, Tyrell up, yeah is um, it Tyrell when he has to go have sex with that receptionist that male receptionist yes. like purely to, to get, get to secrets yeah yeah yes. yeah like there there is the, like I've seen characters do stuff like that in different who knows what happens in real life because I don't know um but that is an interesting thing to me the like the 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 view of sexuality in the use of business Mm. like how how does that play a part um and for some people yeah it 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 is just there like there is this acceptance of maybe i need to sleep with a guy instead to Mm -hmm. to seal the deal on this relationship or to get the corporate secrets to uh, you know, do X, Y, and Z, or to further some kind of mm. business deal and relationship. Yeah. Um, and like that, that was interesting to me too. To just see him be mm-hmm. like, yeah, like I, I use my sexuality as a form of power, as a mm-hmm. um, 
which, which can be a good thing, a bad thing. It, it can, mm-hmm. you know, do all, all sorts of stuff. Uh, and yeah, he does get the respect he deserves in the business world. Mm-hmm. It also makes him a shitty person. Yeah. Um, and it's I, just like, you, I, like I, I couldn't get into that. It was, it was just like, right. I, I don't There's, like I don't want to be around him. Like I, I just yeah. he's on screen as good as the performance is. I'm just like, I, I don't want to be here. I understand. This is a, a story that's full of really interesting multifaceted characters and really outstanding performances of very unpleasant people. Yes. I yeah. get it. Um, you brought up an interesting angle with the connection between sexuality and and business transactions, where after Lewis finds out that Joe works for Roy Cohn and that Roy Cohn it is in the hospital for AIDS, you know, he, he's had sex with men, you presume. Uh, he immediately jumps to the conclusion that, oh, Joe has had sex with Roy. Which isn't true, and I don't think it's something. It's not an angle those two characters really talk about with each other. Is is Roy and Joe bo- both as gay men in this world? No, they do have a very professional business mentor mentee relationship, and and Lewis just completely presumes it's something else. Yeah, um, it, it's it's just it's another like bump in the road because especially it. it in the political situation that's happening mm-hmm. uh, at the time for someone like Lewis, who's a lawyer, like these are mm. big things, right? To, to someone who identifies as gay, 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 mm. who is a uh, like J- Jewish man, who's a lawyer. Like he sees Roy Cohen as like the antithesis of everything he stands for or or Mm -hmm. or what Mm -hmm. what a similar identity should be or should represent um and here is this very powerful man who's doing more harm than Mm -hmm. good for the people that identifies similarly and so he just he has this like state of shock yeah just like like how can you even be around him like this Mm. vile person Mm. Um, and 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 then just starts to get accusatory and stuff like well you're his butt boy and all this stuff and blah 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 blah. (laughs) yeah um (laughs) and it's it just it goes to show that lewis as a character is also very judgmental Um, yes not not only is he struggling to cope with priors like medical situations, but also ju- just it, when he sees someone he like really cannot stand. Right. Like when, when, yeah. he, when he knows that Roy Cohen is now two people separated from mm. him, he freaks out. Uh, and, yeah. Granted. Maybe rightly so, mm. but it, it, he's still like he just he goes to an extent that is like, wow, you have no idea how to cope with this stuff, do you? Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Wow. Okay. <laughs> um, Lewis is fascinating. I 
I do like that his angle is that he, I think, believes or prior, somebody else accuses him of this, is that he's all like big philosophical political ideas. That's all he wants to talk about. He wants to yell about them and argue about them and complain about them and be self-righteous about them. Yeah. And he's not as good as looking at people as just individual people and not like symbols of larger societal things. Yeah. He, he he seems like on a smaller scale, like with the stuff that actually matter to most people, he, he mm-hmm. doesn't know what he wants is mm-hmm. the thing. He's very undecisive in, in mm-hmm. that way. And I think that just mixed with the emotional f- freak outs. I, I was just like, yeah. Okay, I've had enough of this guy. Like, can, I, can I, under, I understand. <laughs> yeah, at least this is a narrative where the characters you might find irritating, other characters find them irritating and call them out on it. Yeah, but, but then, like, it's almost every character, though, that is irritating in it's, their own way. Mm, um, I think this is why I, I think Belize is the most likable out of all the sure, characters. Yeah. He seems the most, uh, like, you got a good heart on him, and he's also kind of kind of jaded but not necessarily bitter about everything he he seems very wise he seems a lot more calm than many other characters jeffrey wright plays him with such a he feels very regal feels like when belize is talking to you you need to listen to belize because belize knows what's happening for sure yeah yeah um man and then uh uh, speaking of Speaking of Lewis's freakouts, when he leaves Pryor in the hospital and he goes to Central Park to just have sex with some random man, uh, the, the man he has sex with is the actor playing Pryor, who yes. is disguised with like a hat and a beard and, and shadowy and the, lighting, like, which is also from the play. Mustache. Right. He's like, looked in Wikipedia and the credits, he's labeled Le- as Leather Man. Leather Man, all one word. <laughs> There you go. Um, yeah, that like that st- stuff like that is is interesting. All those multiple roles, like we mentioned at the start. There, um, God, I like I I'm trying to think. Um, again, uh, I'm terrible with names here. Let me see miniseries. Uh, Patrick Wilson's character, Joe. Yeah, Joe Pitt. Um, he's also what he's maybe the one that I. I can relate to the most because uh-huh. I grew up religious. Uh, mm. I'm not was not a Mormon, but I've 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 seen and known people like him, where they are gay. Sometimes they even know it, like they know, like, hey, I'm I'm attracted to men and and only men men. Uh, but then just do their best to kind of just rid themselves of that or or accept it and then just not act yeah. on it. Because again, again, this show kind of goes to extremes uh, mm. with with a lot, 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 lot of the characterizations um, where he he there's one heated moment that he has with his wife where he really gets to the root of what he's trying to do with himself yeah he is really just trying to 
dig out everything that he can to the point mm-hmm. where he is a shell. Like he hates yes. himself. Like yeah. he, he is miserable. He like, and it's kind of a shocking moment with how real he's being mm-hmm. there. Cause I think that's, that's maybe his character flaw is that he's not. He is not. Cannot speak. Um, he 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 can't be truthful with him. Yeah, or with his wife or with his friends. He's very very secretive. Um, or he he knows the truth, but he does not live the truth. Does not accept it. Yeah. Yes. Um, and. like that is what he's dealing with and that's what drives him to be so unlikable is that he he doesn't tell everyone everything but then once he does or if he does Mm. they very quickly realize that oh like the way you're dealing with this is probably not good um it's just yeah it was another uh, thing where I was just like I I cannot stand this character <laughs> just because uh, he's just he's causing all of his own problems and everyone yeah. can see that yeah and, and it's it, like he's the only one you, that just won't accept it. you you do kind of feel for him and his struggle I think it is a very empathetic moment where he says yes I know that I am gay but I'm trying to do everything yes. possible to bury that to dig that out of myself to live correctly i behave correctly yeah and but then he becomes this and and when he does leave his wife for for lewis he is much happier and you kind of like to see that to see how his life changes when he does admit i do want to be with another man here i am i'm doing it like he's he's smiling his character has changed but he's gone from being so self-denying to being weirdly selfish where like he's spent so much of his life fighting and denying and trying to be good that he feels like it seems like he feels like that buys him a blank check for the rest of his life <laughs> like he, with every other conflict he has with people his, his arguments like well i'm trying i'm trying to be good <laughs> like when he hits lewis he, he's like i've never done this before i've never hit anybody before it's less apologetic and more of like can't be mad at me if this is like right. the only time I've done it. It's not like I habitually do this. Yeah, and it's just like oh, that's not that's not the thing yeah. to say here. And Let's like we, <laughs> and he doesn't get the happy ending that the, the other characters get. Like we get that that lovely epilogue with Pryor and Lewis and Belize and Hannah of all characters. And then we get uh, Harper flying across the country on the plane. She gets that beautiful final scene. Uh, Roy just dies. Uh, And then Joe is just sort of left with this sad sack existence where you don't know what he turns his life into now that like Lewis has left him and Harper has left him. And Harper leaves him in this very harsh way where like he tries to go back to her and like they have this emotionless sex they have the least sexy sex scene i have ever seen it is mechanical he is an animatronic in a museum and then she like (laughs) 
And she's like, you always have your eyes closed. Are you thinking about other men when you do this? And he doesn't answer her. And then he like goes to the other room like, I'm going to get dressed. I'm going to I'm going to go for a walk, which is what he always does. And Harper steps out like completely nude. And she's like, look at me. Look at me, Joe. What do you see? And he's like, nothing, nothing. And she's like, "Okay, nothing like that. Like that is it. She's closed the book like she's he, he feels like she had a sense that he was not sexually attracted to her at all. But the fact that he looks at her and really like doesn't see like. I see my friend. I, I see this woman I made a commitment to. Right. You know, and I as he, he called her a few times in there, buddy. buddy. Right. Your husband does not love you if his pet name for you is Buddy. And like when he kisses her, he's like, Buddy kiss. And then they like have this tight, closed mouth kiss that like it isn't a kiss. It is a sub designation of kiss labeled buddy kiss. It is kiss ostensibly friend right not romantic not sexual at all buddy kiss mormon approved (laughs) (laughs) and so she leaves him very harshly where she's like i am taking your credit card you can see where i'm and where i'm at you'll see the charges but she's like i won't call you again i'm not seeing you again yeah you imagine they'll have to communicate at some point in the future to officially divorce each other but yeah she's absolutely closed the door on him and then his his mom is still there uh it seems like you know perhaps his mom may learn to be more accepting of his homosexuality but that's the question of whether he is going to how is he going to live now is he mm-hmm. going to find uh, a new boyfriend you know he's lost did so many relationships in his life he's lost his wife this boyfriend he lost roy his professional mentor what is his sexual and personal and professional life going to be from now on we don't know we don't get any kind of epilogue with joe yeah it's it's interesting because i i i feel like each of the characters and where they ended up is also kind of uh, met, not not metaphorical, but maps mm-hmm. onto just how different people reacted to the AIDS mm. crisis and where it left them. Right? Sometimes it ruined people, mm-hmm. and they lost their coworkers, they lost their friends, yeah. their family, like all of that stuff. Um, some people got sick and died. Uh, some people kind of learn to live with it. Uh, some mm-hmm. people learn to struggle through it. Um, be, be accepting, be angry, right? Like there, there's, there's all mm-hmm. sorts of stuff. And I think they all end up in different spots. And I, I, I did like that, that it's, it's not a happy ending in the sense that, and they all lived happily ever after. Right. right? And, <laughs> And they they beat the government down and no more AIDS because Magic uh-huh. Johnson found a, a cure or who knows what. Right. <laughs> so his uh, name is Magic. <laughs> but it, like. It, like I said, there is that kind of hopeful air to some of the show where yeah. it's like, hey, but you know what? Despite all of these bad things, like. There is some goodness still mm-hmm. out there mm. the angels in america are the friends you made along the way right, right? <laughs> I, yeah i i agree there are elements of of goodness in people like hannah is such a severe dry person it makes sense that she's from out in salt lake city that she's from the desert she's dry as the 
desert. But she, when Pryor collapses in front of him, she's still like, I will take you to the hospital. Like that's, that's what yeah. a good God-fearing person does. And like Joe, for as much of a disaster as he is to anybody in his personal life, you he's still a fairly polite man. Like you imagine if you were waiting in line next to him at one of these New York City hot dog carts where he goes to eat three hot dogs to eat for lunch. <laughs> Forgot about the scene where Patrick Wilson eats three hot dogs. It was very important to me. Uh, like if, if you were just standing in line next to him, he would be nice to you. Like he'd ask you how your day was going. Yeah. Like he's bad at, he's good at niceties and bad at goodness, perhaps. This is also something I, I really like that and Lewis also, says to Pryor. Mm-hmm. I have one thing to add on that the hot dog yeah, scene yeah. really fast. <laughs> it, it also looks like he was he- eating them plain. Like he oh, had, yes. it looked like he had no <laughs> condiments on it. Just, just exactly just, dry, just dry wiener, three dry hot dogs in a bun. <laughs> we are in they, bun. They they make the obvious joke in, in, right. in that like in, enjoy your wiener, right? Uh, yes, but but God, just like who eats a hot dog plain? Like he is the most plain. Like Joe is the most plain, boring <laughs> character. That of, of course he would eat a hot dog plain. Right? No mustard. We don't believe in it. No, no ketchup. <laughs> Relish, God. celery, salt, anything. But when Lewis goes back to Pryor uh, in the final episode, and he's even not trying to come back, trying to reconcile and he says it's not that i don't love you i'm just bad at Mm. loving you if i didn't love you i'd be let off the hook but no because i have loved you and i did a poor job of it i'm more on the hook than i've ever been he's like i want to make this up to you and i really like that distinction of there's there's love there's indifference and then there's just a poor job at love yeah yeah um wild stuff uh so mm. i i i want to talk a little bit about the ending um uh-huh. especially with prior uh, and what happens to him and all of yeah. that stuff because uh like i said there is some beautiful cinematography mm-hmm. uh, in, in there man there's that that one scene after he storms out from the like table of all the a- angels uh mm-hmm. and he's trying to get back to his room in the hospital but it, his like hospital bed is in the middle of this pool in the thing yeah when he, like is first wading into that yeah pool, that scene is gorgeous mm-hmm. beautiful and then he gets a little bit closer and as he's like more like further in they do a shot that is it would have been nice, but the like CGI in the background I, where they're like implanting some like buildings in the back. I was like, well, OK, that kind of ruined. I'm sure it was fantastic at the time. Yeah, but it, was, it, was, it was just like, oh, that scene doesn't hold up. I wish it did because the one <laughs> just before it was gorgeous. You know, this is a story that is they, they just did that production in 2017 that won Andrew Garfield a Tony. I yeah. know Andrew Garfield had a Tony. I don't know why we're not talking about that more. There you go. <laughs> but I think this is a story that will continue to have relevance and maybe we'll see another sure. filmed version of it in the future that could have uh, definer digital effects. I don't know. For the 
I, I kind of like to see these like it's TV effects, but it's HBO. It's like the highest quality TV CGI that was possible in 2003. Well, it's, it's not even like TV CGI because it is HBO. Like this is yeah. movie quality. Like, yeah, it's not TV. It's HBO. Right. Yeah. Uh, but like it, it, it just I'm sure at the time it was fantastic mm-hmm. and was just like, whoa, this looks so real. It's beautiful. Yeah. Right? But then just, just, just to com- compare to what we're used to t- today was just like, oh, <laughs> they uh, th- that could use some work. Cool. OK. Yeah. The scene <laughs> where the um, he's just sitting there having a doctor's appointment. He's like sitting on the table with like the paper roll on it while Emma Thompson fills out forms. And then the like. She starts speaking in like Hebrew to him suddenly. I love yeah. the shock and horror of that scene. Like it's not magical in a fun way. It's magical in a scary way. And then the like book, like the ground crumbles and the book rises up on a pillar and it opens and there's like flaming Hebrew characters. Yeah, it looks it looks hokey, but. I don't know. It works for me. I, I like buy into it. I think maybe it's because I was aware of this thing in 2003. I fully accept the fact that it looks like 2003. Yeah. Yeah. Th- th- that, like that stuff I wasn't as upset about because, yeah, I was mm. like, OK, this is like of the times. Um, yeah. But it, it was like to me, it was like the juxtaposition of that one just like the the color of that water was so blue yeah Um, it was it was so saturated it was very just uh, like a metaphorical symbolic uh like otherworldly kind of scene and set that they Mm -hmm. were in i I don't like it just wherever they shot that gorgeous i think they 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 went to italy to shoot it it is beautiful it's like this classic architecture that's fallen into ruin but it doesn't feel dystopian it doesn't feel sad i think there is sort of this uh romantic decay to the whole thing and like you have no clear sense of like place or space where he is he's wandering from like fountain to garden to like crumbling arch and you don't know like where are you where are you trying to get to it's it's very dreamlike and then i like that he finds the council of angels and it's not clear that it's cold here otherwise but they're all bundled up in like very normal human coats yeah um but what another thing that was really interesting to me is kind of the i'm not sure if absurdity is the right word here but the ending of this show, when Pryor is like, yeah, we need to hold God accountable. Let's sue him. Yeah, let's, let's sue the bastard. Right. And, and mm-hmm. he, like he, he just he goes on this, this kind of monologue about like holding God accountable and then storms out of there. That's very reminiscent of the comic Preacher. Um, oh, like like it's almost the exact same thing, the, except preacher starts with that like the premise is god is gone no one knows where he went uh and basically uh, a preacher a vampire and an assassin go on a mission to find god walk into a bar right yeah uh 
and they go on a mission to find God and hold him accountable. To mm-hmm. basically find him and ask, what the hell, dude? <laughs> right. Or, yeah. Like, that is the st- like, so like this one ends how that one starts. Um, and it, it, I, I, like, it, it was just like, this is weird. Like, I kind of like the absurdity of where this yeah. one went. Like, it's not like it is, but it is not fantastical. If that right. makes sense. But, like, you're but in this. It's just, otherworldly you've got this otherworldly setting with this council of angels and every angel's like a continent like there's dimitonson the 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 angel of america and there's angel oceanica and angel australiana uh but like they're in front of a desk with like they're in like these beautiful ruins with just like a pile of papers and they're all wearing just like stuff from the burlington coat factory (laughs) yeah yeah um I just I, I thought that was interesting, like mm-hmm. especially compared to the really serious dramatic performances in the rest of this show. Yeah, to have it almost end on this, like, and I'm going to storm off and find God and sue him. <laughs> it's, it's just like, wait, what? <laughs> uh, that being said, though. The performances of the angels are also very staged like performances. They are mm-hmm. this over the top dramatic. It is I, 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 oh, I am the I, angel. Uh, right God, the Emma Thompson is the angel is great. I, I do love how she the angel is written yeah. speaking in this like really unnatural manner where when she proclaims herself, she is. It is I, I, I am the angel. And yeah. she. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, she's just so outside of any human experience. She's entirely bluster and grandeur and, and howling winds. And then Pryor wrestles her and she's like, I have torn a muscle in my thigh. <laughs> like she can't, she can say a normal sentence, but it's not going to sound normal. Right. Yeah. It's just, it's so weird that mix. Cause then on top of that, you also have ghosts. You have yeah! dead people who are in yes! this and arguing and bickering about the family histories and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. I think the reactions, like seeing Pryor's reactions to some yes. of these things were ridiculous. Him just mouth I, a, a, a gape. Just, it uh, is just, like his mouth maybe just wide a, open. <laughs> it is maybe a little stagey. Uh, but I do like the way he's just exasperated really uh, is, almost yeah. more than he is terrified. Like whenever he wakes up from one of these angelic visions, he's just like, what? Like he's, yeah. like he's mad. What? Why? Who did? Yeah, what? When? And I, lo- <laughs> I love when in like the second half of the story, when he like is living as a prophet and he's got this like black coat with a hood. He, he looks, looks like, like a, a Sith. Sith. Yeah. He's hobbling around New York Him City on his cane. Like, right, right there with his like mean He's look. He's sulking around <laughs> just yelling, going to Joe's office to yell at him. <laughs> That's so funny. Um, yeah, God, and it just it, it's it like for, if nothing else, Angels mm. in America is interesting. With yeah. all of its components, its characters, the performances, it goes to all sorts of, of places. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like I said, I just I couldn't really get into some of the characters or most mm-hmm. of, of them. Yeah. Um, 
I, I, I just it was hard to relate to most of them or just like mm. find some way that I could be like, OK, with watching a scene. Yeah, with them, if, if that makes sense. <laughs> I guess that sounds harsh, I understand. But like <laughs> it was just like, yeah, I, I just, they're all unlikable. Um, mm. But I, I liked I, where it ended up. I liked how despite that, like sinister twinge of the uh, opening theme song there is like mm-hmm. the show f- finished on this like more hopeful note mm-hmm. uh, so yeah i i really i really like the final scenes in the show with uh with harper flying across the country talking about how she sees souls rising up from the earth and they are holding on to each other and forming a patch in the ozone layer is kind of silly but really beautiful I I love Mary Louise Parker in this I love her she's so glassy this is such a hard role to get right without Mm -hmm. it seeming completely off the wall I think she's really well measured in this role I I like that scene and I like the the final scene at the fountain where Pryor like breaks the fourth wall and talks to you and he's talking like it is now 1993. I've been living with AIDS for this many years. Yeah. It's my birthday. I'm here having lunch with my friends by this fountain of this angel. Uh, Lewis is going to tell you about the angel. And then Lewis steps out and he talks to you not in the same manner in which Pryor is talking to you. Pryor is talking to you like he knows you're the audience. Lewis and Belize and Hannah are talking to you like you're just an acquaintance of Pryor's that happen to stop by that you're conversing with. It's mm-hmm. it's real subtle, precise stuff. I love how they handle that final scene. I I feel similarly about Angels in America the way I feel about Watchmen, and that they're both these stories mm. that have a lot to say about political and and social issues. And it's not so much that I connect with that what the narrative is saying as much as I connect with how the narrative says things. I sure. love the story. Fair structurally i love how it arranges its narrative how it portrays things that's what i love i find it so artistically touching i think as opposed to more spiritually or emotionally touching sure sure. cool uh well i say we get into review show bingo bingo we got stuff we can cross off this week bingo cards yeah uh, let me see if I can do the, do the thing on our whatchamacallit here. Let's go into... Come on, computer, you can do it. Into bingo. Say it with me. B-I-N-G-O. Did it work? Did it work? Not really. Not exactly. Okay, I'm going to move us over to the bingo thing. There we go. Ah. We're I I don't know if you also have ghost, but I have ghost. I sure Finally, do. It took us almost half the year to get to any ghosts. Ghost. You got that one and I got that one. Man. Still no bingo for me on that one. I mm-hmm. guess me I, either. I, I have one, but that didn't get you any new bingos either um let's see no mysterious scars no no time to eat breakfast no needle, no needle drop, drop of, of the time, time period yeah no. 
Uh, did we get like a tall bag of groceries? You have that one. I on think your there card. was there was a paper bag of groceries, but I put that on there exclusively for the baguette or celery stalk sticking out of the top. Out, yeah. It has to be a tall grocery in the paper bag, and I don't think we got that. Okay, okay. Uh, well, I think that's kind of about it then uh, for our bingo update. Yeah. Um, Finally, ghost. There you go. Let me save that and I can get us back to main screen. There we go. Um, cool. Well, it is my turn. Well, I, but before recommendations, we pitches, yeah, I was about to say uh, almost skipped recommendations here. Uh, Melissa, for people who enjoyed this, what else might they like? Uh, I think I recommended this when we talked about The Leftovers late last year. And that was one of the things that made me want to rewatch it because I realized I had such a hard time, like, remembering what the narrative was. I don't know how to describe Angels in America to people. You just got to watch it and feel it out. But the HBO Max backed me up on this when I'm done watching Angels in America. It's like, do you want to watch The Leftovers next? Which is similarly, it's a that's a story of people who have been through a biblical disaster it's about people after this event called the departure where suddenly two percent of all human beings just vanished and it's the story starts like three years after that with just the remaining people still they have no idea what happened over the course of the show you never get an explanation it's just about people dealing with that sense of of sudden unexplained cosmic loss and the fear of how do we know if that's ever going to happen again? Where do these people go? Uh, does it, or is my family safe? Are they in a happier place? Are they in a worse place? Is it an act of judgment upon me that I wasn't taken? Am I bad because I survived and they didn't? Did, you, did they go somewhere? Did they die? Have they survived and they're just somewhere else? It's all these big, big spiritual and philosophical questions. But that show is also real chaotic like, like such a banana show is in in like not even the metaphysical ways that i was expecting just sort yeah. of an odd odd show i really like spending time with the leftovers um and i, I thought second of, that recommendation that was gonna be yeah. one of mine too mm-hmm. and uh i thought of three andrew garfield projects because I was thinking about how he's played this on Broadway. And then I thought about how he's played in other roles that you could relate back to this. He's mm-hmm. in Tick, Tick, Boom, which is a, a Netflix musical movie directed by Lin-Manuel, Lin-Manuel Miranda based off the work of Jonathan Larson, who wrote Rent, which is also set in New York City in the 80s about yep. you know many things, including the AIDS crisis. And Tick, Tick, Boom is about Jonathan Larson uh, trying to write a musical uh, trying to write a musical that eventually becomes rent and him struggling with losing friends and what that inspires yeah. him to do and uh another real life person andrew garfield has played is he plays jim baker in the eyes of tammy faye which is about jim and tammy faye baker the televangelists and which was a narrative i i didn't know anything about that story i knew like the the meme of her i knew like lady with big makeup who like mm-hmm. took money from people. And it's a, a very empathetic movie about uh, Jim also being gay and like struggling with that and trying to hide that. And Tammy Faye being this very 
very empathetic person to others in a way that other people were not, especially in the televangelist arena in the 1980s. There's a really touching scene where she interviews a man who has AIDS and she's reaching out to him and offering her sympathies and like trying to encourage everybody else in her community. Like these are your, this is your family. These are people just like you, these are your brothers and sisters and you have to support them and not cast them out. And it's one of those movies that ends with the the title cards of and then this person went on to do this. And that man who she yeah. interviewed, he was based off a real man and he's still alive today. And that was maybe my favorite moment in all of 2021 cinema was that <laughs> final title card telling me that man based off a real man still alive, sings with the Los Angeles still, gay men's choir. S- still like, kicking. I, nothing has made me happier over the last year than learning that fact. Uh, and then I haven't watched Under the Banner of Heaven yet, but I've heard very good things about that. This new crime drama, I think, on Hulu, where Andrew Garfield plays a, a Mormon detective who's called to investigate a murder in a Mormon community. Uh, something he thought would never happen uh, with people he knows, people who he's under yeah. the same banner of heaven with. So, yeah. Rich career, Andrew Garfield. There's, there's so many things you can watch him do besides being Spider-Man. Indeed, indeed. Um, yeah, so I wanted to second that recommendation on The Leftovers. I think that's a great one just to it. It's really a show about how people cope. Uh, yes. With, with things here, which we got a lot of in Angels in America. Um. I also want to recommend in an odd way. I mentioned it. I want to recommend the comic Preacher. Um, yeah. If if you want maybe a little more of the absurd, the irreverent uh, kind of adventure, but you liked that. If, if you liked the stuff where Pryor was telling the angels off and being a prophet, but then mm. you just like the level of language that uh, Al Pacino <laughs> might have brought to the film. If you want to marry those two together, uh, you get Preacher. Um, it is foul mouthed. It is mm-hmm. not. Yeah, it's just it's an adventure of all kinds of irreverent uh, stuff. but. Also, one that has a really good heart to it, oh. not 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 like a uh, like a wow, we can really save the day like that kind of thing. But just like <laughs> the real preacher was the friends we made along the way. There, there's there's a lot of really really touching character moments as you find out their history and what they've been through and what they're dealing with, and just the kind of back and forth that goes on in there uh there is a tv uh, ad- adaption mm-hmm. of the show too it lasted a few seasons uh the show is pretty good too i definitely recommend the comic more uh but both are good so there you go that those would kind of nice. be my recommendations there good and of course i always recommend going to your local live theater if you can see Go these live, particularly if you can see the one that's also got the second half that's got Perestroika and Millennium Approaches, seek it out. Indeed. Uh, but with that, now it is mm-hmm. finally time for me to do my pitches. 
Uh, yes. So, Melissa, I have three movies for us. Movies to from uh, n- no real theme connecting them together, um, though you can find all of these on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the first one uh, is a movie called Hustle. This is a brand new movie starring Adam Sandler. Uh, it is a ah. sports d- drama, but I'm putting this one on the list because of Uncut Gems. Um, yeah. and it's like, there, there's your your typical qu- quote unquote Adam Sandler movie. Right. You might see Kevin James in there. You might see <laughs> David Spade in there. Right. Like, All his there's friends. That, there's that level. And then there's like the uncut gems. There's prestige <laughs> Sandler. Sandler. Yeah. Uh, I think this is meant to be another one of the prestige Sandlers. Right. It is I like a, prestige Sandler a dramatic role for him to be in. And that was kind of the interesting thing for me of Uncut Gems. Like that was not a role that I typically associate with him. Um, And so I think this is another one of those. Uh, Let's see. This is uh, the film stars Sandler as an NBA scout who discovers a raw but talented player in Spain and tries to prepare him for the NBA draft. Uh, Queen Latifah, Ben Foster, and Robert Duvall also star, while Le- mm-hmm. LeBron James acts as producer uh, of the movie. So, interesting stuff here. Um, Good. I thought that one would be interesting to, to see Adam Sandler in a, a more dramatic role. And see how I haven't it, seen Queen Latifah in a while. Always sure, welcome her. Yeah. yeah, see how that that one may or may not compare to Uncut Gems. Uh, number two is a film here that I've I've seen <laughs> on Twitter. <laughs> I love whenever you start a pitch and you already sound confused about the thing you went out to find. I'm not confused about it. I, it's, it's, me, it's like inquisitive. Like, what is this thing really? I don't know. It's interesting. That's why uh-huh. I'm pitching it. Uh-huh. I've seen this a number of times on social media. Uh, I've seen Paul Bay mention this on oh. Twitter. Uh, this is say Paul Blart. I've seen Paul Blart mention it on Twitter. Um, uh, no, uh, this is the film triple r or r r r i'm yes! not sure what yeah! it is it's on netflix it's uh a d- d- hindi movie i'm not sure exactly here uh but it is a, a whopping three hours and five minutes long um but i have heard great things about mm, this mm-hmm. film that it has action it is heartwarming uh j- j- just uh, yeah, I did all sorts of stuff. Um, let's see. Netflix describes it as a fearless warrior on a perilous mission comes face to face with a steely cop serving British forces in this epic saga in pre-independent India. And then Wikipedia says it's a fictional story about two real life Indian revolutionaries. Uh, and their fight against the British Raj. Set in 1920, the plot explores un- the undocumented period in their lives when both the revolutionaries chose to go into oblivion bef- before they began the fight 
for their country. Um, so this one just it seems interesting. Like, uh, yeah, I, re- I really don't know anything more ab- about it besides that. I've also heard about this film. Uh, let's see. Made on a budget of 550 crore. I don't know how to pronounce that, oh. which is about 72 million U.S. dollars. RRR is the most expensive Indian film. Wow. Period. The film was initially scheduled for theatrical release in July 2020, which was deferred multiple times due to production delays and the pandemic. Uh, released theatrical theatrically March 25th, 2022. Uh, huh. And uh, it, like I said, this is also on Netflix. Nice to have it so promptly available to us. Yeah. So uh, that is pitch number two. Pitch number three, a movie I was interested in when I first saw the trailer. Um, mm-hmm. This is. 21 Bridges uh, by it's produced Uh. by the Rousseau brothers, among uh, other people, uh, starring Chadwick Boseman. Uh, It's a crime drama. Um, Let's see about uh, the film stars Chadwick Boseman as an NYPD detective who shuts down the 21 River crossings of Manhattan to find two suspected cop killers. Blah, 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 blah. J.K. Simmons is also in this. Uh, Keith David, Taylor Kitsch, Sienna Miller, Stephen James. Keith David. Bunch of stuff. I'm just great names here. Um, (laughs) But yeah, Yeah. I I, I remember seeing the trailer to this, I think, during Infinity War. Yes, I remember this. Um, I was also intrigued by this trailer. I liked the concept that this was taking place in a specific contained geographical area. Yeah. And you know me, I like a good crime story. Mm -hmm. So I was like, Mm -hmm. crime story by the Rousseau brothers, kind of. Uh, It was just produced by them, so they didn't really make it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But uh, still, I was just like, oh, okay. And Chadwick Boseman, yeah. rest in peace. Um, we got to celebrate what we can. Absolutely. So that's pitch number three. Pitch number one was Hustle, starring Adam mm-hmm. Sandler. Pitch mm-hmm. number two is RRR. And pitch number three, 21 Bridges. You might have gotten me with 21 Bridges on another day, but it has to be RRR. I have also heard about this movie i listened to a podcast called unspooled that is about uh cinema of various kinds it's a podcast i really admire and they're covering it this week so i was already thinking of watching this and timing we have watched a tv show from india we watched the netflix uh family horror mystery typewriter which was a show i really enjoyed and I've been wanting to go back to India. It's a country with such a thriving yeah. cinema culture. Uh, I thought yes. we should watch a movie from there and then not only a television show. Yes, this is perfect. Ab- absolutely. In, in the back of my mind, that's also been one of the things that I want to bring more to the review show at some point. It's like, let's watch some Bollywood. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That'd be awesome. 
Uh, I also like the challenge of just finding the most expensive movie from so many countries. Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) Bring this back as a series of pitches. Good stuff. Uh, Well, yeah, that is what we will do this next week. Mm. Then RRR or Triple R. Again, I'm not sure how to pronounce it. Yeah, I I, I don't know what the title refers to. Maybe Um, it's maybe it's an onomatopoeia. We're supposed to growl. I don't know. We'll learn. Is there a third movie with just three letters as the name? Because there's RRR, there's the Vin so maybe Triple X. If if there was one more, that would have been an amazing pitch for the show. Like here's JJJ and RRR and XXX. There's probably a like low budget snake themed horror movie called like SSS. Yeah. Yeah. God, that would be really funny. Uh, but yeah, that's what we will do this next week is RRR. Join us for that. Go watch it. It's on Netflix. I'm about to sneeze. Ah! <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I, I think this will be an interesting one. I'm excited to yeah. ch- check this out. Um, but yeah, that is what we'll be up to this next week. So, Melissa, nice. where can the people find you on the internet? The internet? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at WilkyWit. That's W-I-L-K-Y-W-I-T. And listen to my other podcast, Saturday Morning Obscurities, show where me and my brother Jams talk about weird old kid shows you feel like only you remember. Uh, We just put out our first Pride Month episode this year about a cartoon I'd never heard of called Cyber Six about this female android cyborg i forget how much of her is is biological who like escapes from a science experiment facility uh and lives a everyday life as a male high school teacher uh it's a character with these really interesting dual identities who uh, solves crimes never heard of it cool mm-hmm. check it out it's i think it's on youtube this is where we watched it cyber six was very interesting there you go uh you guys can find me at yo kyle springer on twitter and if you guys would like to stay up to date with all of the stuff that we do here at The Whatnots, we are at The Whatnots on Twitter. So please go like, share and subscribe. That would help us out a ton. Uh, if you guys can spread the word, that would be great. Uh, but that yeah, said, thank you. We'll see you all next week. Bye. Bye. Hey.